Okay, good morning. I'm, I'm grateful to be here. Uh, I kind of feel like a fish out of water, like I don't deserve to be here, but I am here, and I'm just enjoying the journey, uh, loving each stage of uh, my walk with the Lord and my life. <coughs> you know, when you're, uh, when you're in Bible college, sometimes people say, well, hey, when are you going to get a girlfriend, or when are you going to get engaged, you know? And, uh, and then when you get engaged, people are like, hey, when are you going to get married? When are you going to put a date on this thing? And then you, know, you get married, and then uh, they say, Wait, when are you guys going to have kids, right? Um, and then once you have a kid, they say, when, you, well, when are you going to have another kid? And then, you know, we've got four kids now. Uh, at this rate, people have started asking us, when are you going to stop having kids? <laughs> and, uh, um, I, I remember deputation and thinking, uh, man, I just got to get, get done with this. I just got to finish it and get to the field. Um, and sometimes when we're in different stages of life, whatever it is, whether it's we're single or we're engaged or we're married or we're in Bible college or we're preparing uh, our, in our training for ministry and, um, and just whatever stage we're in, sometimes we just feel like we got to get through this so I can get to the real deal, you know? But no, you're in the real deal right now. And I just want to encourage you uh, I'm really excited. I'm for you, and uh, and I want you to do well right now in college. And so you're in college, and God wants you in college right now. Uh, and so don't be in such a rush to get to the next stage. Just enjoy what the Lord's doing right now. And uh, and that's what I'm doing. Uh, we've got four little ones, and and it brings its unique challenges. We're visiting uh, about 110 churches this year in the span of 11 months. In the last couple months, I've turned down about 30 invitations to churches. Uh, we just don't have any availability. It's going to be pretty crazy. We've started to fill. So we've got the Sunday mornings, the Sunday nights, the Wednesday nights. And now we're trying to, so we're starting to fit in like Mondays and Tuesdays and Thursdays and Fridays. Um, and it's just kind of a little crazy. And at one point, I, I thought, man, I just got to get through this year, you know, and we got to get back to Chile. Um, this is our first furlough. We've been on the field for six and a half years, although I went to the mission field in 2010 uh, full-time as a single missionary. And uh, I just want to enjoy each step. I want to enjoy where I'm at, uh, when I'm there, and what the Lord's doing today. Um, when I went to the mission field as a single missionary, my first month's rent was $500. $500. And my first month's support was $300. That doesn't leave much room for food and transportation and these things. But as you can tell, I, I haven't missed a meal, right? Um, God's been good. I don't know why you're laughing. Um, why, are they, why are they laughing? I have no idea. Okay, well, Jonathan, you'll have to explain it to me later when, at the house, okay? I sure have appreciated the Gilmores and their hospitality. Um, we've really enjoyed staying at their house. The kids are having a ball. Um, brother and sister, I'm sorry, when you get back, the house is destroyed. Uh, you'll see. But, <clears throat> you know, if I could take the short time that we have together uh, and just uh, uh, talk about what I'd like to talk about, um, then I would take the whole time to just encourage every single one of you to consider being a missionary. I would, I would just plead with you. I know you're not all going to be missionaries, but you all should struggle with the fact. You all should wrestle with maybe, maybe God wants me to be a missionary. And since I'm not going to take this time to do that, I, I wanted to share a quote from Hudson Taylor, who's just one of my heroes. 
and uh, he said this. He'd, he'd written a booklet about statistics about China and the need in China for missionaries in his time. And in this booklet, he says this. He says, with these facts before us and with the command of the Lord Jesus to go and preach the gospel to every creature, each one needs to ascertain whether he has a special call to stay at home. If not, shall we disobey the Savior's plain command to go? And, you know, I often get asked about our call to Chile. And a lot of times I'll tell people, you know, one night we had Mexican food and got some jalapeno chilies. We had one left over. We left it in the fridge. When we woke up in the morning, there were hundreds of jalapenos in the fridge. And we knew that God had called us to Chile. <laughs> See, it, honestly, it, it didn't work that way, okay? And I nev I've never had, you know, a voice from heaven, uh, some miraculous... Uh, I, I found out there was a need in southern Chile, and I began to pray. I put a map above my bed in, uh, in the dorms in Bible college, and I began to kneel each day after classes before I'd go to work. I was a translator at Chick Publications. You ever seen those little comic book tracks? Um, and uh, each day before going into work, I'd kneel down under that map and I would pray. And I would say, Lord, you've got to send somebody to southern Chile. And uh, at times I would weep. Uh, sometimes I would stay there an hour or two praying for southern Chile. I'd skip lunch. Sometimes I would fast an entire day or multiple days asking God to send missionaries to southern Chile. And, you know, that's the answer to the lack of laborers. Because the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Well, the answer is not writing booklets or, or having conferences on how to get more laborers. It's, it's prayer. And we pray and we ask God to send laborers into his harvest. And doing that, uh, you can't... You can't pray and ask God to send laborers if you haven't surrendered yourself. And I know not everyone's going to be a missionary. And, and don't worry, we're not going to get overpopulated on the mission field, right? Um, but uh, some of you are going to be missionaries, and I thank the Lord for that. And I pray that God would just move in your hearts. And, and we never had, like I said, we never had a miraculous call, calling or something. But it's just been, we've, we've been walking with God these years, and uh, he's ordered our steps, and those steps led to Patagonia, and that's where we are, and we're 100% convinced that's where he wants us, but I'll be praying for you as you consider serving God on the mission field, and as he orders your steps to your place of ministry, whether it's here within the borders of the United States or somewhere else. Let's turn to Numbers chapter 12, please. <clears throat> Numbers chapter 12. Um, let's see here. So I've put for a title of this message, We Need Meek Servants. We Need Meek Servants. Numbers chapter 12. <clears throat> We're just going to read one verse. It's verse 3. And then later in your own time, you can read the entire story if you'd like to do that. Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3. I'd invite you to stand with me just as we read this one verse. And then we'll pray. Numbers 12, 3 says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your church. I'm so grateful for Falls Baptist Church and how this congregation has just gone uh, all in to train future servants of Christ. 
And Lord, I love your church. I love your word. Thank you for the Bible, how this college has set the Bible and Jesus as its central focus. And I pray, Lord, that as we open your word, that you would do a work in our hearts. Thank you for the Holy Spirit and how he dwells within us. And we pray, Lord, that each of us would be sensitive to him and that your word would be able to take root in our hearts and produce fruit to the glory of Jesus Christ, that we might live in a way that's pleasing to you. I pray, Lord, this little, this just short blurb that you've given me to, in, in the training of, of those that are sitting before me, I pray, God, that you would allow me to have a positive influence on them through your word. I know I'm not worthy, but God, Jesus is, and we just want him to be exalted and glorified in our lives. And we desire that now in this chapel time as well. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take a seat, please. <clears throat> the word meek or the word meekness, it's really a word that I never really understood until I got to the mission field. I heard the word meek and I thought a lot about the word meek. And, you know, I heard uh, kind of these cliche definitions. Meekness is not weakness. And and that's not a bad thing, but it didn't help me really to grasp what the word meek meant. And I never quite understood it uh, until I, I learned Spanish. When I learned Spanish, uh, the word meek just kind of came alive. I'll explain to you why here in a minute. But uh, the way I understand meekness in my studies and what I've learned about it, I believe that meekness is a willingness to be governed by the will of another. Meekness is, it's a willingness to be governed, governed by another's will. And so uh, we got to Patagonia. I remember one time uh, going fishing. I get to go fishing probably once a year down there, but some of the best fishing in the world. If I had more time, I'd do it every day. But uh, <clears throat> I remember going out fishing and being on what's been ranked the fourth best fly fishing river in the world. It's about five minutes from my house and I was fishing there and uh, there was a gaucho. A gaucho is like an Argentinian uh, cowboy. Now in Chile, we don't have gauchos, we have huasos. Okay, that's like uh, the Chilean cowboy. But in Patagonia, we're very heavily influenced by Argentina, even though it's Chile. So we don't have huasos, we have gauchos. All right, and there's a gaucho riding on a, on a horse, and uh, he had his boina, which is like a beret, I guess you'd say, like a, a beret, like a, the green berets, you know? So they wear these circular hats, they call them boinas in Spanish, and he was riding this horse, but uh, the horse was crazy. And I was watching him, and he wasn't just riding the horse, he was breaking the horse. He was taming the horse, and he was doing it masterfully. And I began to ask the Chilean I was with about this, uh, this man and what he was doing, and he taught me a new word. And it's the word that we would use to say break a horse, okay, or tame a horse or domesticate a horse. And so in Spanish, the word meek, listen to this, is manso. Manso. Say that with me. Manso, okay. The word to tame a horse is amansar. Literally, it's if you were to take the word manso and you were to form a verb out of the word, that's the word. It's like to say to meekify. That's what they're doing to the horse. They're meekifying it, all right? 
And so this horse, it's prideful and it's strong and it's powerful and it has its will. And it's always governed itself by its own will as a wild horse. But they take this wild horse and they break its will and they make it meek. They take it to a place where the horse has surrendered its will to be governed by the will of the rider. This is what the word meek means. It means to have a willingness to be governed by the will of another. And as we know the Lord, as we get to know him better, it is easier for us to trust his will over our will because we know how good and perfect and acceptable it is. It's easier to be governed by another's will when you know who and how they are. I've considered a lot meekness in, in what you know modern days we call leadership, right? Uh, meekness and uh, the uh, servant of the Lord. And I've considered um, meekness and pastoral ministry and things like that. And it's, uh, I don't understand. I'm looking at Moses and I'm thinking possibly uh, the greatest, at least one of the greatest leaders of the Old Testament, right there with David and Elijah. And we've got Moses and, <clears throat> and I look at Moses and I think, well, Lord, if he's leading others, I always thought leadership was exerting your will, right? So why does it say that he was the most meek man in the earth? And uh, the reason why is because for you to be an effective servant of the Lord, it requires meekness. To lead others, you have to know how to lead. To exercise authority over others, you have to learn how to submit. And to uh, be meek, it will transform your ministry. Not just as you surrender your will to God's will, and uh, you, you pray like the Lord, not my will be done, but thine. But also, as you work with people, um, there are these moments in time where you could just flex your will uh, as the leader, right? Well, no, I'm the leader. It's going to be done how I say it's going to be done. Or in humility and meekness, you can, you know, treat it like a yield sign, right? When you're driving and you can yield and you can give them the right away. Just a, an example. Since we left to the mission field uh, so under-supported, as some would say. God made up the extra support. Um, the church was never able to rely on us financially. We sacrificed a lot to be able to rent a small home in a poor neighborhood and also a small storefront. But within six months, the ministry, the church was completely financially independent of us. They were paying all their own bills. Before long, there was enough extra money coming in to pay a pastor's salary. And then uh, enough money, they started renting a secondary facility. And before long, they had enough money for a pastor's salary and an assistant pastor's salary. And the church, since we were missionaries, we didn't take a salary. We just saved that for about five years. And the church, they purchased their own property, their own building with Chilean money. And, uh, and I remember um, after that building was expanded and remodeled and all that stuff, it was like my baby, you know what I mean? I lived in that thing. I was the general contractor and we worked and worked and worked and 
Um, my wife chose the colors and everything, and everything looked nice. I do a little bit of carpentry, and so I worked on the pulpit and all these different things. And, and then uh, there was a member of the church, and uh, she and her husband wanted to put a carpet in the, in the center aisle. So the church had ceramic, um, and just the, the kind of heating that we use there with kerosene, uh, the moisture in the air would make the, the floor a little bit slippery after the heating had been on for a while. And so they wanted to put a carpet in the center aisle. And uh, uh, they said, Pastor, can we do that? I said, of course. And so they got this carpet and they set it out. This carpet was so ugly. <laughs> I mean, it was so ugly. Uh, I mean, you'd walk in, you'd look at that carpet and make you want to barf. It was like, this was the ugliest carpet I think I've ever seen. And it clashed with the colors. It clashed with the chairs, clashed with the hymnals. And, you know, it was, I, uh, I, I, if it were, you know, as a leader, I thought, we're well, just going to throw the carpet away. But, you know, the Lord, and I prayed about it, and, uh, and I, I thought, well, Moses was meek. And I thought, if anything, this is just going to be a lesson for me. And I know it's silly. It's goofy. But... I surrendered my will to their will. And I said, you know what? We're going to leave that carpet. So that dumb carpet is still there. <laughs> and it's hideous, all right? But who cares? They wanted to serve the Lord. They sacrificed. They bought the carpet. They had a part in the building. It was theirs. And uh, it, that's okay. That's fine. Everything's okay. The ministry didn't end. The building didn't fall down. People are still getting saved. People are still getting baptized. And so people are still getting trained. And it's all good. All right? It's okay. And as a leader, I am growing and learning, not as fast as I ought to, but meekness. In, <clears throat> in Spanish, when we want to make something small, we add ito to the end. Right? So we've got poco or poquito. Right? In Chile, everything is ito. We don't drink cafe, we drink a cafecito. Right? Everything is ito. And uh, they don't say, do you want a te? They say, do you want a tecito? Everything is ito, ito, ito. Okay? And <clears throat> there's something similar. Um, you guys just finished Greek, right? Uh, Greek class, uh, exam I heard. And so I'm, I'm scared to talk about Greek because I never took Greek in Bible college. It was an elective. And I chose uh, homiletics, too, instead of Greek. And, uh, and so you guys are probably way smarter than me. But uh, from what I understand, that in Greek there's something very similar. And it happens with the word Christos, or Christ, and the word Christian, Christianos. And so Christianos, what I understand, is it's the word, it's like saying in Spanish, as if you were to say Cristito. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Jesus said these words. He says, the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. Listen to this. He says, it is enough for the disciple that he be as his master. A disciple is a learner. It's one who follows, learns from, and imitates a master. The word disciple is the most common word in the New Testament to refer to a follower of Christ. It's used 273 times in the New Testament, the word disciple. And we are disciples of Jesus. Look in Matthew chapter 11, 
We just want to be like him. That's our greatest desire. We want to be like him. We want to follow him. We want to uh, learn from him. We want to imitate him. Matthew chapter 11. I would encourage everybody going into full-time ministry to memorize these scriptures. They've been such a help to me through the years. Verses 28 through 30. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. This is a call for discipleship. He says, for I am, say the word out loud with me, meek and lowly in heart. I'm humble and ye shall find rest unto your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, I am meek. Another place, speaking of prophecy, says, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. When the, if you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, look quickly. Um, I'd like to share a few more scriptures with you before we close. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. <coughs> I'm always scared when I'm wearing one of these lapel mics. I don't want to like blow out your eardrums coughing into it. Excuse me. <coughs> our ministry down in Chile, it's very uh, old school in the sense we don't have any speakers or anything electric in there. I just get in there and yell, right? But I've got this mic on. I'm like, okay, <clears throat> bring it down a little bit. And uh, uh, I remember in Bible college, we had to sit in an auditorium for about, an auditorium made for about 2,000 people. And they set us at the pulpit and the teacher sat at the back row and he says, preach. Everything was turned off. And we just had to preach. And he says, if I can't hear every word you say, you're going to fail. Yeah. And so we learned to preach from our diaphragm, you know. And uh, like Charles Spurgeon would have had to preach to thousands, you know, without microphones and things. But excuse me for coughing into that. Second <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence and base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. You know, in one place he beseeches by the mercies of God. Here he's beseeching by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Christ was meek. Were his followers, were his disciples, we are to be meek. What did Paul know about meekness? In Acts chapter 16, Paul had a desire to go into Asia. And he tried to, twice, but the Holy Spirit had a different will and forbid him from going. And those who know the story know that he had a vision, the Macedonian man, and he understood that God wanted him to go to Macedonia. And it says that uh, after he saw this vision, it says that he immediately he endeavored to go into Macedonia because they had gathered that the Lord had called them to preach the gospel unto them. It says that immediately he obeyed the Lord. That's important because delayed obedience is immediate disobedience. Partial obedience is total disobedience. We need leaders or servants who will ascertain the will of God and do it immediately, wholly and with all of their heart. I can't stress enough how important it is for servants of the Lord to be meek. Uh, I look deep in this heart of mine and I see a man who's headstrong 
and who just wants to impose his will on others as if it was God's will for their life. And you've got to be careful when God puts you into a position of authority not to do that because you're not the Holy Spirit. And uh, we need meek leaders. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. <clears throat> the Lord values a meek and quiet spirit in a great way. You know, we live in a day and age where women are taught from a very young age to beautify themselves, to make themselves beautiful in an external way. But the Lord tells us that the, their adorning ought not be outward, but their adorning is to be of the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Um, I, I haven't done a Christmas tree in probably 11 years or so, but I remember as a kid, when we would have Christmas, my, my parents would put a tree and we'd put ornaments on it to make it prettier and beautiful. And the Lord says to women, he says, if you want to be beautiful, use the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Because that's of great price in the sight of the Lord. He highly values that. <clears throat> Meekness is greater than makeup. That's what I learned from those verses. How to be meek. Walk in the spirit. It's his fruit in us. Read the scriptures daily and receive them with meekness. As you're studying the scriptures, you're going to find that your will and God's will clash. And you're going to have to receive them with meekness. You're going to have to surrender your will to the Lord. Your arms are too short to get in a boxing match with God. Receive his word with meekness. You have to be renewed in your understanding and allow your will to bend to the text. And preachers, as you're preparing messages and sermons, uh, don't start with the thought and then try to bend the scriptures to your thought, right? We pray, Lord, bend my thought to the text, not vice versa. <clears throat> pray and have your prayer be Christ and others focused. Die to self. Self is the enemy of meekness. Honestly seek and ask for the Lord's will. And repeat the words of Jesus, not my will, but thine be done. As I prayed and sought, Lord, what do you want me to teach to future servants of the Lord uh, who will be serving? Well, you guys are present servants of the Lord, but people who will be serving him, preparing now for full-time ministry. And uh, I just couldn't get away from how desperately we need meek servants. So I hope that gives you something to think about, to meditate on. And the Lord will use it as he's shaping you into the servant you ought to be. Thank you for listening so closely. God bless you. Amen. Thanks, Pastor.